a Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. And uh, Jesus called them to be disciples. And Peter was married. It doesn't say whether he was married at the time. Mm-hmm. It's assumed that he was a widower because at one point Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. But there's never a mention of a wife, so it's assumed he's a widower too. So he's just a, you know, a Jewish fisherman by the Sea of Galilee that along comes this itinerant rabbi that tells him, come follow me, and he drops everything and follows him. You know? yeah, like I said, he was a fisherman. He, he wrote uh, the epistles of St. Peter, First and Second Peter, mm-hmm. and they were written in Greek. And so there's some debate on whether or not he even knew how to speak Greek. Maybe he had like a secretary write them for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, he was an uneducated fisherman okay. from northern Israel. When we talk about uh, Peter, there's a lot about his characteristics. So can you talk about Peter's, I mean, throughout the Gospels, there's mention about his, his temper, his, his brashness, uh, all yeah. of these things. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, those flaws that Peter had that all of us have? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was very much, he rushed into things. Yeah. You know, he would just, he kind of put his foot in his mouth a lot, too. Okay. You know, whenever, whenever it's listed, the apostles are listed with Jesus, and it says, like, who was there. Peter's always listed first. He was a very important figure in Jesus's inner circle. You know, it was usually Peter, James, and John was really his inner circle. And Peter would just sometimes just spoke his mind without ever really kind of thinking about it first. Like when they were going up to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. he said, "I will die with for you," and all that. And just kind of <laughs> swore his loyalty. Go to and literally, you know, like two chapters later, he's swearing and denying and even knew Christ. Yeah. You know, so he was very much he rushed into things when the. Uh, the guards came to take Jesus away, and they grabbed they grabbed Jesus to take him away. Peter drew a sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, you know. And so he was just kind of quick to act and quick to talk. And one of my favorite stories is during the Transfiguration, when Jesus is on top of the mountain, and Peter and James and John, you know, the the three amigos are there with Jesus, and Moses and Elijah show up. Moses and Elijah and Jesus are having this conversation, and Peter pipes in and says, "You know what? I'm gonna." Why don't we build three booths for you guys up here on top of the mountain? You know, he just, and it said he didn't even know what he was saying, where he just felt the need. And we all do that sometimes, where you need to fill the dead air yeah. with just kind of you talk out of just wanting to fill the dead, the silence, you know? Yeah. And that's what Peter done and just kind of stuck his foot in his mouth once again, you know? But that's what I love about St. Peter is he's really an everyday, an everyman kind of character. Like mm-hmm. yeah. anyone can relate with it. If you've got a temper problem, you know, he cut a guy's ear off. Yeah. So, yeah, if you speak, you know, just without ever really, like, without processing at first, mm-hmm. Peter's your guy. You know, he really, he kind of kind of has a lot of these different flaws, but he also has a lot of strengths, too, mm-hmm. you know. And it was really, Peter was really, his strengths were really reinforced on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. when he received the Holy Spirit, you know, in that special way that the, the apostles in the upper room, mm-hmm. that he went from kind of gun-shy, kind of scared. They yeah. were up in the upper room, you know, the door was locked for fear of the Jews, it says in the Gospel of John. And he goes from being this, you know, kind of timid. He would talk and he would rush into things, but he wasn't he wasn't brave. I don't think mm-hmm. you can say bravery. And then all of a sudden, you know, bang, he's out there and he's preaching this this great sermon, you know, from Acts chapter 2 or 3, whatever it is, mm-hmm. on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So would you say that the turning point in Peter's life was where, um, you know, the rooster crows and then he realizes his mistake and from then on everything changes? Yeah, things change from there. But when it really is when Jesus met him on the Sea of Galilee mm-hmm. okay. and uh, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when he said to him, you know, Peter, do you love me? 
And he said, you know, I love you, Lord. And it was at three, Jesus said it three times, but what's really interesting is the words that Jesus used for, do you love me? The first two times he said it was agape, which is like an, un, you know, an unending love, uh, a love without boundaries, you know? And he said that twice. And then the third time he said filial, which is just like a brotherly love. So it was like Jesus would just settle for that. Like, if you'll just love me as much as you love your brother, I'll settle for that. And then Peter started crying because he realized, you know, the three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It was a restoration from the three-time denial. And I really think that would have been a turning point in Peter's life. So what was the difference between Peter and Judas? Why didn't what what is it that made Peter so much more resilient compared to uh, compared right? That's one of my favorite uh, favorite comparisons, really. It's uh, the two apostles. You know, you've got the traitor yeah. Judas, and you've got the you know the, the prince of the apostles yeah. Peter. And the difference between the two of them is they both they both betrayed Christ, really. Yeah. I mean, Judas done it in a more of an overt way. He went out and he got the temple guards and he brought them over and he got paid for it. So his betrayal was, you know, more treasonous yeah. than Peter's. But Peter, you know, was there and he denied Christ three times mm-hmm. after just saying, you know, one or two chapters earlier, mm-hmm. I'll die for you. I'll die with you. You know, and he said, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus kind of knew what was going to happen because he said, you know, he said, you sure you'll die for me? All right. Later on down the road, you'll die for me. But as of right now, you're going to deny me three times. Mm-hmm. And the difference between the two of them that, you know, the thing that really strikes me is, despair. Judas betrays Christ. Judas realizes what he does. and He gives in to despair and he goes out and he hangs himself. Peter betrays Christ, Mm -hmm. realizes what he done. Mm -hmm. And then on Easter Sunday, he run up to our Lord, you know, and he he wanted to be restored to God. He wanted to, and it reminds me of any time we sin, Mm -hmm. if we turn back to God, Mm -hmm. God's always waiting there for us, like the the father from the prodigal son. He's always waiting there with open arms. But the difference between someone who's forgiven and someone who's unforgiven Mm -hmm. is the despair. You give in to despair, and I mean, everyone's done it. I've done it myself. And think like, oh gosh, how am I going to be, I can't be forgiven for this. How can I do? And you give in to that. And that's a trick of the devil. That it, it, it tempts you into not wanting to seek forgiveness, not want to seek that restoration that Peter received on the shore of Galilee when Jesus restored him back to his rightful place. That's the difference I see between Peter and Judas's despair. They both committed, you know, treason against the king. But Peter came back and wanted to be back in the fold. Peter wanted forgiveness. Judas just went off and killed himself. Peter's strength. I mean, we know that he's a flawed individual. Peter represents uh, the majority of us as people. But then mm-hmm. Peter also represents this potential that God, Christ himself saw this great potential in Peter, which Peter didn't know he had. So right. what were these strengths that Peter had, this, this potential that, that was seen in him? I think the, strength, the, the biggest strength that he had was he allowed the Holy Spirit to work through him. Mm-hmm. On the day of Pentecost, like I said, that uh, sermon that he preached on the day of Pentecost, it said thousands were baptized, 3,000, I think it says, in Acts. Mm-hmm. And he allowed that because Jesus promised them, you know, right before the ascension, mm-hmm. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, go back to the upper room in Jerusalem and pray and wait. It was nine days later, the Holy Spirit came. Yeah. And he allowed that to work through him. You know what I mean? Like he could have he could have fought it, could have said no, and could have said, no, I'm the master is gone and yeah. what was me? And could have went back in that state that he would have been in, you know? But instead he allowed God to work through him. And that's what any of us have to do. Is we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but we have to allow God to work through us, to let the strength shine through, because they're all gifts from God. We have to allow them to, to work through us. Peter mm-hmm. was somebody who changed gradually into his ministry. He was very Right, yeah. Peter was, he was very, uh, I don't know how to put it, he was very anti-Goyim, uh, you know, Gentile. He was, he was very pro-Jewish and Jewish only, you know? Yeah. And he wouldn't even, 
he wouldn't even consider when God told him that all these things, when he had that vision on top of the house mm-hmm. and the, uh, the sheet was coming down, you know, it was the four corners was held up and it was all these unclean animals and stuff. And he said, no, yeah. when God showed him this and said, take and eat, no, 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 never has unclean things touched my mouth. So he actually said no to God. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he had to, the sheet came down, I believe it was three times. It might've been four times until finally he got the message and he went to Cornelius's house. To the, and that's where he kind of seen that because Paul was more of an apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah, yeah. Paul would go, when he came to a new town, Paul would go into the synagogue, preach in the synagogue, usually wouldn't get much results, and then go out to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. He would go only to the Jews, and he thought really that, you know, because salvation is from the Jews, he thought that it was a particular thing for them, but God was saying that this is, they're my chosen people, but it's spreading out, you know, it's, it's for the whole world. And he was kind of resistant to that, but then he got on board. Yeah, I think it was the Jerusalem Council. Um, uh-huh. Paul and Peter had met for the first time and then uh, Paul was supposed to be... Um, I think that's where they identified that Peter would only talk to the Jewish people and then bring conversions there, whereas Paul would be the guy who who would speak to the, the pagans because he was very successful with the Gentiles. Yeah, Peter was more... Peter. Yeah, Peter stuck mostly to with the Jews until he had that received that vision yeah. to that... Basically, like, it's okay, Peter, you can let go. <laughs> you know, this is this is the way it's supposed to be. Because then he started eating with, yeah. you know, mixed company. And then some of the Jews in, I believe it was Antioch. Okay. Some of the Jews kind of took offense to that, that he was eating yeah. with mixed company. Yeah. The Jewish Christians, because it was Judaizers. That was one of the first problems of the early church was Judaizers. And they said that, you know, to become a full member of the church, you had to be circumcised. You had to keep the Mosaic law. And that's really what the whole Jerusalem Council was about. What what kind of requirements do we have to put on these new Gentile mm-hmm. converts? And Peter stopped eating with Gentiles, and that's when Paul kind of chastised him. I think it was in Galatians he talks about this, mm-hmm. where he said, you know, I kind of took him to task for that. And Peter seemed like, okay, yeah, and Peter went back to you know the mixed company and everything. But uh, yeah, that was what the Jerusalem Council was mostly about, was what kind of burdens do we put on, you know, do we make them keep the whole Mosaic law? Do we? And that's where we get the the council's decision. And the thing that's interesting about that too is James stands up and he gives kind of his opinion mm-hmm. of what's going on. You know, after they receive Paul's testimony about what's going on, James and then Peter stands up and says, we have decided. He speaks for the church. Yeah. You know, that's where you really see Peter really taking on the leadership role mm-hmm. apart from Pentecost Sunday, but he's really taking on that role saying, we have decided. So he's speaking with authority there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think he really had a good leadership skill. Mm-hmm. He was always named first yeah. When, when named the apostles, and he was always, sometimes in different parts of the gospel, they'll say Peter and the other apostles, or Peter, yeah. James, and John and the other apostles. And then all of the major moments in Jesus' life, Peter, James, and John was there. <laughs> but it was Peter who first recognized Jesus as the Christ. Yeah. You know, when they were sitting, and they he said, who do people say that I am? And they come off with all kinds of, you know, Elijah, some say this, some say that. And he said, who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. And Peter spoke up immediately and said, because that's what he does, he speaks immediately. He says, <laughs> You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah. And that's when Jesus tells him, you know, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for yeah. flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. And now you're Peter. Peter was the first one to recognize Christ. And also, there's another thing that I, uh, that I always found interesting mm-hmm. is in Luke, mm-hmm. it's Luke 22, 31, mm-hmm. 31 through 32, I think, it says, you know, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat, mm-hmm. you know, and he says, but I prayed for you. And when you turn back, strengthen the brethren. Jesus was telling them, you're going to betray me, basically. It was, and he said he wants to sift you like wheat, but what's interesting is the word that he uses in verse 31 is you, is plural you. Like in America, you'd say y'all. Yeah. You know? 
or use, but it's plural you. And then the next verse when he says, but I have prayed for you, turn back and strengthen the brethren. The word he uses there is the singular version of you. So he's saying that Satan's going to test all of these, all the apostles are going to be tested and sifted, you know. But I prayed for you in particular. Jesus prayed particularly for Peter. And I mean, as Catholics, we believe that Peter is, you know, the first pope. But even when I was a Protestant, I still knew that Peter had a very special role. He was the de facto leader. He kind of became the leader after Pentecost when he stepped up to the mic. But he was kind of the de facto leader the whole time, the way I see it. And it must have not been easy, right, being, I mean, knowing that. Um, that your leader has gone and left you, and now you're left with with uh, a ministry and, and doing all the things that that he did. So it must right. be difficult managing the early church, which was so fragmented with no specific rules. It would have been impossible if not for the Holy Spirit, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it would have been it would have been a sheer impossibility. That was uh, there's a story that Dr. Peter Crafe tells all the time. The philosopher, he's a professor of philosophy at Boston College, mm-hmm. and it's. There was a uh, merchant in France in the 1800s, and he wanted to convert to Christianity, to Catholicism, mm-hmm. and, uh, or in the 1700s. It was, no, it was back during the time of the Borgias, so I guess it was the 1400s. Okay. And he wants to convert, and he tells the Bishop of Paris. The Bishop of Paris says, oh, great, I'll, I'll baptize mm-hmm. you right now. He says, no, no, I'm going on a business trip to Rome. Mm-hmm. Let me go to Rome, and uh, I want to see it all for myself, see so, you know, the capital of your, your Christian empire here. And then I'll come back and I'll get baptized. And the bishop thought, oh boy, he's going to go and see all the corruption, you know, and all the different things that's going on and all this, you know, high place corruption. And so the merchant disappears and three months later he comes back and he says, did you see it? He says, oh yeah, I seen it. He said, what do you see? I said, oh, I seen a terribly run organization with corruption and all this different things. And he said, I want in. He said, you want in? He said, yeah, because without the Holy Spirit, this would have collapsed two days after the resurrection. <laughs> If, if you look at the odds that they were up against yeah. for 2,000 years, but especially in the early church, with all the all the things they were facing, and the, the Sanhedrin was constantly bringing them in and beating them mm-hmm. in Jerusalem until they, you know, graduated up to stoning Stephen. Like they sent Paul out as like a Christian hunter all the way to Damascus to go drag them back, and all these different things. And then the Romans get involved, and the Romans start persecuting. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, the whole thing would have just collapsed in a matter of weeks. But that's really what made Peter the leader he was, was the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, I'm going to send the advocate, and he's going to strengthen you, and he's going to help you, and he's going to bring back all these things I told you. Because you got to remember, too, is we didn't have a Bible back then in the early yeah. church. Yeah. Everything was through memory and through oral, you know, passed down campfire kind of stories and, you know, church services and stuff. So they kind of, like, passed on, because the first gospel wasn't written, I think they say the earliest was maybe 30 years after the resurrection. So I mean, it wasn't a terribly long time, but still... Even then, they would only had like each little group would have only had fragments of what we now call the Bible. So, what exactly can uh, ordinary people like all of us learn from from Peter's ministry, from his life, from uh, what he did, and what he finally accomplished? I mean, he started off being, you know, a fisherman, and then he went on to being a fisher of men. So, what can we right. learn from Peter? Talk about the two biggest things I think that we can learn from Peter is, no matter what we do, no matter what happens. We can always return to God. So no matter what you do in your life, no matter where you're at in your your current faith life or you know whatever you want to call it, you can return to God. Mm-hmm. God can use someone like Peter who denied Him three times. He can use someone like Saint Paul who killed Christians. You know he had blood on his hands, like we talked about the other time with Saint Paul. But Peter betrayed Christ in a very real way. Like in a, <laughs> he betrayed Him by denying Him three times, and yet. Here he comes out of that and becomes, you know, the first, you know, leader of the church. He becomes, you know, the first pope, we believe. But everyone can see that 
Peter was a very special leader in the early church. And that's really, I think, the, the biggest takeaway is no matter what you've done in your life, mm-hmm. no matter where you're at, no matter what kind of sin you've committed, or what do you think that God can, because you hear that a lot from people. Like You talk to people about God and they say, like, oh no, if you knew what I'd done, God can never forgive me. No, he can. God can forgive you. God will forgive you. It's all you got to do is ask, really. That's all you have to do is accept it. He's already done the work. He already died for you. All you have to do is really just reach out and grasp it. It's, you know, it's like a hand being offered you. You're drowning in the sea of sin. And there's a hand reaching down, just like Peter when he sunk in the Sea of Galilee when he walked on the water. Just the exact same thing. Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. And that's what Jesus has his hand out like that for every single one of us. Every person on earth, Jesus has his hand outstretched us. And just like Peter, no matter what we do, Mm-hmm. we can reach out and grab his hand. And that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, there's no, there's no, you don't have to, you know, do any kind of like degree. You don't have to earn a degree. You don't have to uh, run a marathon. There's no, there's no requirements to it. Just reach out and grab the hand of Jesus. That's, I think, the biggest thing. And another thing is be emboldened by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, allow the Holy Spirit to embolden you, just like it did with Peter. Yeah. You know, the day of Pentecost comes, they're in fear of the Jews mm-hmm. in the upper room with the door locked. And here, all of a sudden, he throws the door open and goes outside and starts preaching. And they went; to, they would go to the temple, in the temple courtyards, and they would preach in the temple courtyards where the Jerusalem authorities actually were. Like that was their physical location. And they would preach right outside their doorstep. He became fearless. completely emboldened. Fearless, yeah, fearless. And the fearlessness came from the Holy Spirit, because Peter wasn't fearless to begin with. Yeah. Peter was scared of, you know, he might have only got... Who, I don't know what the punishment would have been for being a disciple of Christ, yeah. but he might have only got whipped or something yeah. to begin with, you know, on the, on the day of, you know, the Holy Thursday, Good Friday. Yeah. But he was terrified there. He was terrified to admit he even knew Jesus. Yeah. He said, oh, I've never seen him in my life. But now he's going literally to the doorstep of the people who killed his rabbi, his master, his Lord, you know, he's going to their doorstep and preaching the gospel right outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's a big turnaround, and we have to we have to allow that to happen in our lives too. Is you have to you know be fearless for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Just go out there and share the gospel with somebody, mm-hmm. and you might get rejected, and you probably will get rejected. You know more times than you'll get you know a friendly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like especially if you do it you know in public or online yeah. or whatever, you get a lot of nasty comments online. Yeah, yeah. And just let it you know let it roll off your back. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what someone says. What matters is the truth, and the truth is Jesus is who He says He is, and that's that's world-shaking truth. Would you also say that uh, Peter was very loyal? I know that even though he denied uh, Christ, I mean he he was with him practically every step of the way. Uh, right. Even though he he said he didn't know him, but he was in the courtyard watching him, and, oh. and you see Peter's loyalty throughout. Yeah, I feel like he was very loyal. I think the fear got the best of them, or maybe it was even the devil, because Jesus said, you know, the devil is wanting to sift you like wheat. Yeah. So maybe it was just kind of a temptation from the devil, just to, you know, kind of like the old cartoons that even on the one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, you know, <laughs> and the demon got the better of him. But yeah, I think he was really he was loyal and he followed Jesus and he, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to be there, you know, with his with his master. Mm-hmm. But I think he just let fear get the best of him, you know. And that happens. It happens always. I can't I can't seriously say without a shadow of a doubt that if I was there two thousand years ago, I would have walked right up and said, "Yep, I'm with him. Put me on the cross <laughs> next up." You know, especially pre-resurrection, pre because this was kind of an unexpected thing, even though Jesus told them. That's what always shocks me, because we read it with, you know, Mm -hmm. hindsight's 20-20. 
So we read the Bible and we kind of know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to die. Jesus is going to get raised from the dead. But them at the time, the apostles, even though Jesus would say, like, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me, but I'll come back on the third day. It just goes right over their head. And it always surprised me. But I guess when you look at it, you know, hindsight's 2020, like I said, then you can see, you see the whole picture. We see the whole picture now. But back then, this was kind of a surprising event that all of a sudden, here they, here's the Messiah, this long way the Messiah, and he's being took up to be crucified by the Romans. How could this, and how could the, the authorities that are supposed to be waiting for the Messiah, too, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how can they deliver him over to the occupying force? So it would all have been kind of shocking. So I can't say with absolute certainty that I would have joined Jesus on Calvary. But, uh, yeah, he let fear get the best of him, you know, and it happens. But I do think he was loyal. He wanted to do the right thing. And and also, I think this is a recurring thing with almost every change that we've seen. Um, but God sees the potential where probably human beings won't. We've seen so far. You, you would never have thought that they would have gone on to do some great things. But then each of no. them went on and did them. Well, I mean, we see that all the way back in the Old Testament, too, don't we? Yeah. You know, when, when David, when Samuel went to Jesse's, uh, you know, went to Jesse, God directed him to go to Jesse, and he had, like, what was it, five or six sons. Yeah. And every single one of them would come forward and God would say, nope, nope, not him, not him. Until finally he said, where's, where's your other son? Where, there's another son. He said, oh, yeah, he's just... And God said, I look at the heart. Yeah. You know, he sees, he sees the potential. He, I mean, he knows the potential of everybody. He kind of goes towards that. God, God can take and mold, you know, your best potential. Mm-hmm. Whereas we might see, like, oh, that guy's a loser, or that guy. You know, we judge from outward appearances, but God knows the heart. And that's the most important thing is your heart, your desire to do good. What are some of the most famous teachings or quotes of Peter? I mean, there were certain things that he, uh, other than uh, his preaching to only Jews, there were specific teachings that Peter had. What are some of his most famous quotations or teachings? Well, my, favorite, my favorite thing that Peter ever said was after the bread of life discourse. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus is preaching in the, the synagogue in Capernaum, mm-hmm. and he tells them, you know, this is, you know, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink, in John chapter 6. Mm-hmm. And then the Jews start grumbling amongst themselves, and then Jesus doubles down mm-hmm. and says, you have to gnaw on the flesh. And then a lot of them left. Many of his disciples drew back. Said they, all, they left him. And Jesus turned to the, the apostles, you know, the group there, the 12 of them, and said, will you go away also? Will you leave me also? Once again, Peter is the one, he's the spokesman of the group. And he speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's really the perfect answer. Where else are we going to go? You're, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Okay, I don't... He didn't say, I, I perfectly understand your teaching here on the bread of life. He didn't say... I get it 100%. He just said, I'm with you. I believe in you. And so if you say this is so, who am I to say it isn't? And that's really, that's, that I think really sums Peter up. Mm-hmm. He was willing to just trust Jesus and just, just go with it. He said, it really is, it's really something that I've, I've strived to do, you know, for the last few years of my life, ever since I really kind of recommitted myself to, because I've been a Christian my whole life, but really I was a Christian with heavy air quotes around that, you know, was when he told them, he said in, I think it was First Peter, I'd have to look up the exact quotation, but it was, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you. You know, always be prepared to give a defense. So always, and do it with gentleness and kindness too, but always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you. And that's, what is the hope that's in you? The hope that's in you is Christ. So always be prepared to give a defense of Christ. And not so much like on defense, and the word he used was apologia, that's where we get apologetics. Yeah. But it wasn't so much like a defense, like be on the defensive, and if someone says something, say like, hey, and get your guard up. It was... Be prepared to share the gospel, basically. Okay, okay. Be prepared at all times and all seasons. Be prepared to share the gospel with whoever you meet. If someone asks you, so what is this deal about Christianity? Mm-hmm. Be prepared to share with them. You know, and you don't have to be a catechist and you don't have to be a professional evangelist, mm-hmm. but we're all called to evangelize. Every one of us. You know, the church exists 
I think it was Paul VI said, the church exists to evangelize. Like that is her basic mission. We are a church that exists to evangelize, not just Catholics, all Christians. That is our goal. We are, we are called to spread the news, the good news, far and wide. Jesus told them right before the ascension to go to the ends of the earth, teaching everyone all that I've taught you. That's our, that's our calling, every single one of us. Anyone who's ever been baptized into a Christian church, no matter if you're you know, Pentecostal, Baptist, Catholic, whatever, you're called to evangelize. And that's what Peter said in his epistle, is always be prepared to give a defense. Give a reason for the hope that's in you. So what books did you use uh, when you were reading up on Peter? Or... Uh, there's a book that I actually took Peter as my uh, my confirmation name when I was received into the church. Okay. And uh, so my sponsor at RCIA gave me a book about St. Peter because mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and I can't remember the name of it, though, offhand. Okay. I, left it, I left it at home. I can't remember. But another, it was really good. I'd have to maybe email it to you. Uh, another one, though, was by Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal Dolan, the, the Archbishop of New York, yeah. his uh, his episcopal motto is, to whom shall we go? Mm-hmm. You know, quoting Peter. And he wrote a book called, to whom shall we go? And it's kind of a reflection on St. Peter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was really, it was a really great book. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, apart from that, just all throughout the Gospels. And yeah. uh, the first, mm, you know, like the first half of Acts is about Peter mostly. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of shifts to Paul. So if you really want to read up on Peter, I'd say go through the first half of Acts. You know, his name changed. That's a very significant yeah. thing to happen in the Bible. You know, he starts out as Simon, yeah. and he changes to Peter. And that's, you know, it's indicative of there's a lot of people in the Old Testament, especially. You know, you have Abram changing to Abraham, and Jacob becomes Israel. You know, you have a lot of these name changes in the Bible to signify kind of a, a change in mission. And Peter was Simon, and it was Jesus changes him to Peter, and Peter means rock. It says, on this rock I'll build my church. You know, he changes his name to solid, you know, Petros means rock. It's a solid, firm thing. That's what, at the time, Peter wasn't solid as a rock. Yeah. But, like I said, as you see later on, he becomes solid. And then, you know, he even died for the faith in Rome. He was crucified. Yeah. Tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he told the uh, the executioners that he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. So they flipped him upside down. And uh, that was actually on... Uh, he was buried on Vatican Hill. So that's where currently St. Peter's Basilica is built right over top of his grave. Uh, there's actually a book. I never did read the book, but I've seen the movie. Uh, Quevadas, uh, it's called. It means, Where Are You Going? Mm-hmm. And it was uh, it's kind of an apocryphal story. I, I don't know if it was from the Acts of St. Peter. It's a uh, it's a, not a canonical book. Mm-hmm. But the, it was a novel written in the, I think it was the 50s or 60s. They made it in a movie in the 60s. Okay. And it was a pretty good movie, too. And it was it was kind of about Peter's later later years, you know. But supposedly, the story goes, Peter escapes from the, the Roman authorities a few times. You know, he's kind of underground in Rome, kind of in hiding. And he escapes from the powers that be trying to capture him. And he's walking out on the Appian Way, and he's walking out of Rome. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus is carrying a cross. And Jesus is heading into Rome. And he asks him, you know, he says, where are you going, Quavatus? And he says, oh, I'm going back to be crucified again. And all of a sudden, Peter remembers the last time Jesus went to be crucified, and he denied him. And so he turns around and walks back into the city, and he was captured, and Nero had him crucified. It's a nice image of the way Peter grew, you know, the way he evolved in his faith from being loyal, but not loyal until death, to loyal until death. He went the whole distance. He became the martyr, the ultimate witness for the faith. You know, martyrdom means witness. He became the ultimate witness for the faith by submitting himself to martyrdom. And I think we're all being called to that, right? From being just loyal and on the fence to being completely loyal. And and it's an everyday thing, I guess, that you're being called to do that over and over and over. Yeah, well, because Jesus is the king of the universe, the king of kings. And you don't kind of submit to... We've all kind of lost the the idea of what a king is because everyone lives... Not everyone, but 
most of us that are listening to this live in kind of, you know, in, in democracies. Yeah. And we don't really have monarchies. And they have monarchies in some European countries, but they aren't really what they used to be. So we've kind of lost the idea of what a kingdom is and what a king. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the king of the universe. He's the king of everything. And we have to submit. That was a couple of weeks ago. The gospel reading was Jesus said, come to me, all you who are labored and heavy burden, and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You have to submit to the kingship of Christ. And he also said, you know, pick up your cross daily and follow me. We have to be willing to go all the way with Christ. So 99% of us won't be called to martyrdom. That isn't what, what we're called to. But the little things, you know, just we have to be willing to suffer for Christ if we're called to that and not turn away. And I think that uh, one of the things is being aware of the moments that you're being called. Sometimes we're not aware that in this moment that we're being called and we're just on our own independent uh, independent trip. I think being open to the Holy Spirit leads you to understand that you're being called to this moment, to this moment of fellowship or to this moment of charity or to this moment of, you know, giving or whatever. Yeah, these divine appointments. Yeah. I can't remember who, I can't remember who it was that I heard say that, divine appointments. It's these little little moments in time where mm-hmm. someone says something to you and just a Bible verse pops in your head. You know, share it with them. Tell them that. Don't don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> or, you know, somebody needs counseling yeah. and you just sit there like nodding, uh-huh, yeah, but you don't actually say anything. Yeah, or there's all these little things that are just going <laughs> to pop up in your daily life that, that you can use to, to help further the gospel that we just let slip by. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you could tweet me at Pamela Q. Phones. I'm also on Facebook at Pamela Q. Fernandez. So see you next time. Until then, God bless and take care.